Damo, do you want the first and only certified organic bone broth in Australia? Do you want a broth with no hidden thickeners, yeast, extract, salt or flavour enhancers? MP, I want a broth made by hand from start to finish with nothing but love and positive vibes. Well, that's why you're left with only one broth, Damo, and that is Broth of Life. Ho, ho, ho. Choose from dehydrated bone broth in chicken, beef and lamb. You'll also find FODMAP-friendly stock. That's FODMAP-friendly stock, veggie stock and chicken salt, all available at brotheoflife.com.au. And a special for Wellness Couch listeners. Enter the code WELLNESSCOUCH2016 at the checkout before November 30 for 10% off your order. So awesome. The code again is WELLNESSCOUCH2016, only at brotheoflife.com.au. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. We've always taken mums the word to mean keeping things to ourselves. Well, this is no longer the case as we provide mums with the natural, honest, and reliable resources they need from experts and other mums to keep their families happy, healthy, and safe. Be prepared to use your passion for parenting to empower yourself with the knowledge of choice. Welcome to Mums the Word with your host, mum and chiropractor, Kaz Jaff. Hey Mums Word listeners, it's Kaz Jeff here and yes I have a little bit of a croaky throat but the show must go on so that's why I sound a little bit different I think. Um, very uh, important episode coming up today, it's optimizing fertility after 30. I know a lot of listeners of the show um, have not even had a baby yet. They've emailed me to say um, that they listen already informing themselves which is fantastic and they're appreciative and also they sometimes suggest things that they'd like to have me speak um, with guests about. So thanks for writing in. And if there's anyone else out there, then I urge you to do the same and I'll see what I can do. And uh, well, we're speaking all things, as I said, optimizing fertility with Dr. Andrea Huddleston. And Dr. Andrea is a co-host of the Wellness Woman Radio podcast. And I implore you to listen to it. It is a fantastic podcast and I've learned a lot from the girls. They share a lot. Um, well, they basically they research a lot into what they're sharing. And um, yeah, I, I, as I said, it's um, been very beneficial for me and I know it will be for all of you too. And I guess these two podcasts go really nice hand in hand as well. So um, a little bit more about Dr. Andrea. She's an integrative chiropractor and a women's health and natural fertility specialist practicing in Fremantle in Perth, Australia. As I mentioned, she's co-host of Wellness Woman Radio and is affectionately referred to as the period whisperer by her patients. She's an expert on all things women's health, hormonal function, and especially natural conception after 30, which is why she is the perfect person to be um, educating us on this episode. Welcome, Dr. Andrea, and enjoy the episode. Hello, Andrea. Very excited to have your mum's the word. Please tell the listeners a little uh, bit about yourself. Oh, thanks, Kaz, and thank you so much for having me on your incredible podcast as well. Um, I love that I am being interviewed by another fellow um, Wellness Couch podcaster, so thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, exciting. Um, so can I just say before I sort of introduce myself, though, that Kaz, you are a superwoman. Um, for all of your listeners, before we actually <laughs> started recording, Kaz was telling me about her day and the things she has to do. And seriously, you are incredible. I don't know how you jam it all in, but but that's amazing. Um, so anyway, back on, back on to me. <laughs> you can't see me blushing on a podcast, so that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like you really deserved a little little shout out there. Um, so anyway, thanks again for having me on. For those of you um, who don't know me, I'm Dr. Andrea Huddleston. I'm an integrative chiropractor um, and I'm a women's health and natural fertility specialist in Fremantle in Perth. Um, I am not a biological mother um, as of yet, uh, but I am a bit of a fairy godmother to all the beautiful babies that I help to make um, in my practice. Uh, that's one of the favorite things that I do during the days, help women get pregnant, which is pretty cool. Um, I have been uh, exclusively focusing on women for about three years now. Um, it sort of came up um, all by mistake and and with a, a patient of mine who presented with some really funky things that maybe we'll get into a little bit later. Um, but I've sort of been through my health journey seeing women and friends around me have all sorts of horrendous hormonal challenges or really severe period pain um, or irregularity and also really struggling to conceive as well and seeing the heartbreak that they were going through trying to either have a baby or have a second baby um, and that kind of led me down just sort of I guess discovering a bit more about 
what this is all about and what causes it and why all of a sudden it's such an issue for so many women. Um, so that's, I guess, how I kind of got into women's health in particular. Um, I'm also a, a podcaster on, on Wellness Women Radio. So that's with uh, Dr. Ashley Bond and myself and we have um, a show that's all sort of to do with these awesome topics and all things that are relevant to, to women's health, um, just like you, Kaz. Yeah, no, it's a great uh, synchronistic podcast for everyone listening. Um, yeah, I've obviously gained a lot from it. And I did notice that the girls put in a lot of time and research into their into their content. So, um, yeah, I'd highly recommend it. Ah, thank you. We, we love doing it. It's such an awesome journey. Um, and the questions that we get from the audience, and I'm sure yours is the same, are so insightful and it just makes it such a joy to do. So it's really cool. Yeah, I think when you get the feedback from listeners out there from, you know, across the globe, you, you're very minded why you put the time into it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So for this topic, I mean, we really decided together that probably the the best thing to discuss for um for the Mums the Word listeners was optimizing fertility in the years after thirty. It's a large group out there, um, I guess, of the audience anyway. So let's delve into a little bit more of that, just because you've got so much experience in this realm. Yeah, cool. Um, women when they're trying to conceive after thirty or particularly after thirty five it's almost like they're given a diagnosis all onto themselves purely because of their age, which I think is really unfair. And in reproductive medicine, the term is actually geriatric pregnancy or advanced maternal age pregnancy. Isn't that horrendous? Geriatric pregnancy. And that's for anyone trying to conceive after 35. So you're already segregated into a group of, it's pretty much saying no hope. I didn't know that, (laughs) geriatric Geriatric pregnancy. Yeah, it's so, so sad. And I do not agree with that term at all. And I think that it really stigmatizes women who, you know, might have put, um, you know, having a family on the back burner for a little while, which so many women are doing these days, because, you know, the, their career or whatever it is might they might be passionate about has become a higher priority until, you know, whenever it might be the time that they're ready to, to have a family. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that until they realize that once you get within that certain age bracket and it typically starts around age 35 that you're faced with a whole lot of challenges and medically speaking you're treated very differently as well so when women are in their you know late teens early 20s this is when we're most fertile and this is when we're most optimally able to conceive um that's just purely because of, you know, the, the different hormonal changes that happen there. And I'm not sure if everybody knows, but we're actually born with all of the eggs that we will ever have. So, um, and if you're actually pregnant with a girl, she will also, she possesses all the eggs that she will ever have. So you're also pregnant with your potential grandchild. How incredible is that? Yeah, nice. nice. <laughs> I think that's, that's just amazing. But those eggs decline even before birth. And then they will decline rapidly over, you know, over your, your cycling years until you get to about age 30 and it, the decline happens a bit faster than that. So when you're in your 30s, you have about a 20% chance of conceiving each month. Then once you get to your 40s, it's about a 5% chance. So it drops dramatically with age. Um, and the quality of your eggs or, or the potential for your eggs to actually fertilize is very intimately related to your biological age as well. And this is why uh, there's that term, you know, the, the quote unquote biological clock that women, you know, really feel the pressure of it ticking, especially once they hit 30. And I think that's also pretty unfair because there's a big difference between your biology or that biological clock and your chronic, chronological age. I know that I've seen stacks of women who, are, you know, are in their late 30s who have the fertility potential of, you know, a woman in her late 20s and on the flip side of that, I've seen women in their early 20s who have serious fertility challenges and have the fertility potential of a 40-year-old. So it yeah, doesn't so that's where necessarily- I don't like these stats because they're just so blanket, you know, put people in a box and it doesn't even take into consideration someone's, you know, what they've done, their past and all the, um, I guess, uh, proactive things they've done to increase their fertility or just their health in general and 
I don't know where the stats are from, if it takes into is it, if it's global or Australia only, but I mean, obviously diet and um, environment have a big impact as well. So I just, yeah, I think whenever I hear stats like that, I always want to put a little bit of a, uh, a note on top that it d- doesn't mean that it, because it's the average on, on paper that it's the average in real life. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and I think this is why we've seen such an insurgence of women seeking um, assisted reproductive techniques, um, even though there may not be anything clinically wrong with them. But it's, you know, a lot of fear mongering that happens, especially when women are trying to conceive because of how emotionally uh, or emotive, I guess, it is trying to have a baby when you've been told that maybe your fertility isn't optimal or even that you're infertile. And that label in itself is completely misleading. So for, you know, within mainstream medicine, once women hit about the 12-month mark of trying to conceive and nothing's really happened, they'll have a huge freak out because it's usually that window where they'll be given that label of infertile, that there's infertility. Whereas in reproductive medicine, we actually consider that time frame to be two years. So it's double what most people are thinking that is, you know, that that window um, where you might actually start to think, okay, maybe there's some other tests or some, you know, some investigations that need to happen. But it's actually a two-year time frame, not 12 months. And most people will conceive naturally within that two-year period. Um, so all of the, the stress that happens around the 12-month mark will actually further hinder <laughs> your fertility uh, chances and your chances to conceive because all of that stress certainly exacerbates any underlying hormonal issues and definitely impacts your potential to conceive. So it's a bit of a vicious cycle that happens there. Um, So I definitely want to say to um, any of your listeners who are within that age bracket and have been trying for, you know, 12 months and they've been told that they're infertile, that's certainly not the case and there's certainly lots of things that you can do um, and it's one of the biggest myths that we have within, you know, the the natural fertility realm is that it's not a 12-month period, it's, it's actually two years. And that term infertility is also really misleading because it's not actually a lack of eggs or a physical lack of sperm that's needed to, um, you know, physically create that embryo. It's usually in 95% of cases referring to hormonal imbalances that's giving you subfertility so that there's no, there's not that that optimal um, sort of scenario that's happening to allow for fertilization implantation that will then become that beautiful healthy baby so rest assured that again that label of infertility usually re- relates to just hormonal imbalances which means it can absolutely be addressed as well and i guess we should mention there's a whole industry um, that is making their money on the fact that people think they're infertile Right. Mm-hmm. And this, like you said, the fear that's going on. Um, yeah. You yeah. Know, and it's growing, I guess. I mean, as, as we see women deciding, like you said, to put um, career first. And, and I, I totally think that's um, understandable as well that you would want to make sure your finances are in order and that you, you're in a state where you can finance and, and care for a child as well. It's, it's almost like, you know, getting your eggs, um, all your ducks lined up in a row in a way. <laughs> eggs for yeah. one of another term. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's benefit to that as well because you're creating a space where you're emotionally, um, like you said, financially um, and everything else ready to have a baby and bring that into the world. And you're making that very conscious choice. Whereas, um, and I'm not speaking for all scenarios, but I, I know for me personally, having a baby, uh, you know, my early twenties or my late teens would have been disastrous. I was definitely would not have been emotionally, financially, um, you know, spiritually, anything ready to, you know, care for another person at that age. Um, and I like the fact that women are also, allowing themselves to figure out what they want first before they go and, you know, create life too. I think that's pretty empowering. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, agreed. Um, And Kaz, you're right when you say that there is a big industry around, um, you know, assisted fertility and IVF is, and the incidence of people using IVF is going up exponentially. I work with a lot of women who are going through, you know, IVF or, you know, any of the reproductive um, or assisted reproductive uh, interventions. And in a lot of those cases, there was nothing technically wrong with them. That is the requirement for them seeking that option. 
it is the fact that they've been trying for a certain period of time and usually it's about 12 months. They've had the fear instilled into them. They have that, that fear of that stigma of the biological clock ticking and they've decided to go down that route because nothing has happened within that time frame. And one of the CEOs, one of the leading pharmaceutical companies was quoted saying that their best customer is a woman in her mid-30s who's been on uh, hormonal contraceptions for most of her life who then tries to come off them and tries to have a baby because nothing will happen and then they need, you know, the the assisted fertility techniques and assisted fertility drugs and they're bloody expensive as well. Absolutely. I I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands and also just the stress involved with, with each, you know, um, implantation and I mean we're obviously not even going into the the treatment of the hormones in itself what that can do I mean it's just yeah it's it's mind-boggling actually yeah it is and it's really sad that I think that he was quoted saying these things um, because it shouldn't be a financially driven industry but I think that's a whole that's a whole different conversation it's probably anyway. on the podcast <laughs> totally totally so yeah, what we yeah. wanted to get into is I guess really what women can do um really to optimize their fertility what what they what action steps they can take awesome um so one thing that women tend to do when they're trying to have a baby is once they are pregnant that's when they take all the action so that's when they're reading all the nutrition books all the you know uh pregnancy um you know bibles and all the how-to everything and that's when they're most armed with the most amount of information but they're forgetting everything that happens before that that's really essential and most, you know, when you're when you're pregnant, you have the three trimesters. Well, what I like to say is that you actually have four or five trimesters. So there is the periods leading up to actually conceiving that are essential to the potential and the quality of the egg that you're trying to make. Um, we've had lots of feedback from women um, who have been struggling to conceive saying things like, oh, when I'm ovulating, um, I stop drinking around that time. I, um, you know, stop eating, you know, sugar or whatever it might be around when I'm ovulating. And yes, that's great. However, that egg that you're actually releasing has been maturing for three months before that. Yeah. <laughs> so just actioning things around that ovulation time is almost a little too little too late. So you need to treat your body like that incredible temple that it is, but also treat it like it's pregnant well before you actually conceive. Um, So you need a healthy body to make a healthy baby. It's as simple as that. And it takes two to tango. So for both you and dad, there needs to be those action steps on both parts because the potential health of the unborn child is 50% mum and 50% dad. So employing some of these techniques for both of you can be really, really helpful. And they just um, need to listen to this episode, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And a lot of these uh, strategies are not new and they sort of fall into that that healthy lifestyle, you know, sort of holistic practices, which I'm sure you've been over time and time again because they are those timeless health principles. But there are a few very specific things that we can employ as well. So first and foremost, the food that you eat is absolutely going to determine, um, you know, the, the health of your body because one your foods are what are making your hormones. So your hormones are made from fats and proteins. So you need really good quality versions of these things with every single meal. Um, And if you're trying to conceive, being on something like a ketogenic diet or a really restrictive diet is not going to optimize your chances of fertility. Women need a certain amount of adipose tissue or fat on their body because that actually helps drive certain hormonal changes. Um, As a very rudimentary number, your body Body weight um, should be, if you take your height in centimeters, take a hundred off of that, and that is approximately your optimal fertility weight. Um, So for me, I'm 168 centimeters, so 68 kilos for me would be sort of optimal. And I think you can probably give or take about five kilos there as well Um, because, you know, 68 kilos for me would feel very heavy. Um, So, you know, you can kind of take that with a bit of a grain of salt, but that's a very rudimentary way to sort of look at that. Um, Sometimes for women who are carrying a bit more weight, reducing that even by a couple of kilos can increase your chances of conceiving dramatically because it creates so much more hormonal balance. So first and foremost, the food that you eat is 
is critical. So make sure you're having plenty of good fats and good protein. Um, the things that I love are eggs. Um, you're in it uh, for that perfect little bundle of nutrients that, you know, that is enough to make a baby chicken. So it's going to give so much great little things uh, to your body as well. Uh, in terms of good fats, you know, avocado, coconut oil, your cold-pressed olive oils, nuts and seeds, anything along those lines is amazing. Um, and as well as your, uh, you know, um, wild-caught salmon, uh, any of your oily fish, those are all fertility aids. Um, so make sure that your diet is really rich in those foods. And at the same time, make sure that you're being really conscious of your sugar intake. And I know this isn't news um, to any of you because of the effect that sugar has on your body, but in particular, when you're trying to conceive, sugar can be your biggest downfall. And one of the reasons why that is, is because we have this uh, quote unquote satiety hormone called leptin and leptin tells our body when we're full and it signals to our brain, okay, we've had enough to eat. We don't need to eat anymore. But leptin is also produced in the ovaries. And when the leptin receptors aren't working very well, it's going to impact um, the, your chances of really making incredible quality eggs because leptin is involved in that maturation and the quality of the egg as well. So if you're having too much sugar, it actually blocks the leptin receptors within the brain as well as in the ovary. So it's going to create a bit of a, um, a change in that signaling so you don't know how much of certain things to produce and it's going to completely um, change uh, those good hormonal signaling as well. Not to mention it will impact your insulin resistance. So any women who have been struggling with polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, and that's about you know almost 20% of women these days, sugar is going to be your dig biggest downfall. So make sure you're getting off the sugar. Um, so in a nutshell, food, make sure you're having plenty of good quality um, fat and protein and be really conscious of your sugar intake. Uh, so Kaz, that's, that's the number one thing. And uh, I know that's sort of quite an extensive, um, long-winded version of that. Um, the second thing is definitely your stress levels. So when we're stressed out, um, this is not the optimal time to make babies. So if you think about how our bodies react to that fight or flight scenario back in caveman days, if we're trying to, you know, run away from the saber-toothed tiger, that fight or flight response that happens to save our life is still happening these days but the triggers are very different. So instead of it being life or death, it's those stressful emails from your boss. It's, you know, maybe that label of infertility or the fact that you're struggling to get pregnant or, you know, it's that your partner's not taking out the rubbish the way that Yeah, it's in-laws, it's traffic jams, it's deadlines, yeah. it's getting the kids to school on time, making the lunches. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, that list is so long. And even though we're very modern women and we literally can have and do it all now, our bodies are still primal. And the way we react to stress is still absolutely primal. So whenever we go through that fight or flight, flight response, it actually diverts the blood away from the reproductive organs, including away from our ovaries. And one of the ways that we can ensure really good quality eggs and the maturation of the egg is a process called angiogenesis. And what that means is actually new formation of blood supply to those areas. So anything that will enhance that is awesome for your fertility uh, chances. Uh, so one of the ways to do that is to really mitigate your stress or really pay attention to what your stresses are and help to shift those. And I know it's all well and good to say these things, um, and especially with mums out there already, I, I take my hat off to you because the things that you do day in, day out, just like you, Kaz, um, is incredible. It takes, you know, a village or an army to raise raise children, and you're doing it on your own for the most part, and that's incredible. I so, think um, if I could just say something like that, I think it's also yeah. the realisation that that stress is never ending, and it's actually our mindset around it. So it's really about Absolutely. building resilience because it's always going to be a juggle whether it is you know someone's health in the family if it's finances if it's just finding time for yourself whatever it is it's always going to be something and so once we realize that that the stress in inverted commas is never ending it can be positive stress too you know you could be having to do that exam that you really want to do because you really want to mm -hmm. get that degree and it gets you studying I understand that but it's more so that it's how we um it's how we, I guess, deal with that stress and or we look at it because it's it, once you know it's never ending, it's like, okay, right, I know it's never ending. What are my strategies to cope with it? 
Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, even taking a few deep breaths, even the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning um, before you even get out of bed, just to take a few breaths before, you know, the craziness of the alarm or the kids jumping all over you and just to kind of reset your system before you get up. It can be as simple as that. Um, it can be as simple as, you know, creating 20 minutes in your day, whatever you have to do to, you know, shift that time to be just some time out for you, you know, whatever you've got to do to do those things, it's so worth it. And especially if you're trying to conceive, um, yeah. figuring out these little things is going to make a world of difference. Um, and while we're talking about ways to increase the the good blood flow to your ovaries to optimize, um, you know, your chances of conceiving, there's some really simple things you can do as well. And one of those things is sex or in particular orgasm. Uh, you know, it doesn't really take much to make a baby, but it does take quite a lot to have really good, healthy reproductive organs and, um, you know, really helping to that good quality egg to mature in the ovary. So whenever, um, you know, we are intimate or, you know, you have an orgasm, it increases the blood flow to those areas and helps to enhance, um, you know, the, the viability of the areas. And especially if you're struggling with fertility, this is such a stressful time as it is, especially for you and your partner. So making sure that you allow time and space for that intimacy and even sometimes forgetting about the fact that you're trying to make a baby and doing it just to have that connection is so important. Yeah, so lots of baby-making practice is what you're seeing. Yeah, absolutely, and do it for the joy of it and for that connection, not just because, yeah. you know, you've taken your temperature that morning, you've seen that 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 peak, you're ovulating, and now it's go time um, because that's pretty stressful and especially for partners as well. Yeah. Um, and a really easy thing that you can do in terms of supplementation to help with that is taking a coenzyme Q10. Now, I certainly um, suggest make sure you speak to your natural health practitioners um, before getting on any supplementation regime, especially if you're taking medication. But coenzyme Q10 has been shown to really help with that those angiogenic changes, so helping that blood supply to the ovary and to the eggs. Um, so that's a really nice, easy thing that you can do. Um, whilst we sort of go down that path of supplementation, um, there's so much information out there about all sorts of different things that can help to, you know, you to have, you know, a, a class eggs or to, um, you know, the, the little wonder drugs. And a lot of them are not supported by any kind of rigorous testing. And a lot of them are old wives tales as well. So be get very careful with Dr. Google cause it's a pretty scary place. <laughs> um, but I can say with certainty that there are a few things that help. And, and one of those things is coenzyme Q10, um, DHEA, uh, is, actually one of the most researched and documented interventions that helps with maturation of eggs and for the quality of eggs as well. And as we get older, our DHEA hormone isn't as functional as, as what it could be. Um, and this hormone in particular is a steroid hormone. It's made by our adrenal glands that control you know, our stress levels and produce a few different things, but it's also made in our ovaries as well. Um, and it's essential for making sure that uh, it increases the, the quality of the oocyte or the developing egg, but also the potential of the embryo and the number of embryos that we can potentially um, have as well. Uh, you can supplement with DHEA, but definitely do this under supervision. Um, and that can help to really uh, mature things if egg quality is the cause of your subfertility. Um, and another really simple one is actually melatonin as well. Um, and I know this sounds a little bit left field because we associate melatonin with, um, you know, our circadian rhythms and our sleep-wake cycles. And it's also involved with things like, you know, our blood pressure, but also our reproductive cycles as well. Uh, and what's been shown um, in many clinical trials is that melatonin actually affects our egg quality because it helps to reduce oxidative damage to the egg. Um, so when we get older, we've got a lot more oxidative stress that's happening and that um, cellular repair or that antioxidant effect is not happening as well as what it could be. And so melatonin really helps with that. Um, you can simply take in an oral supplementation of this at about three milligrams once a day for two weeks. And this has been shown to dramatically increase your chances of pregnancy. But again, definitely do this under supervision um, and make sure you have this prescribed by you to you by a, a practitioner as well. 
Um, so those are some really simple little things that you can do. Um, and the list is is so, so long. We could talk just about, um, you know, supplementation and some of the tips all day long. Um, but Kaz, I think the food that you eat, getting control of your stress levels, some gentle supplementation and making sure you have that that connection or that intimacy with your partner to help to enhance um, all the good blood flow to your uh, to your reproductive organs. I think that's a really good starting point. With so much great information provided on each episode, we've created an easy way for you to stay up to date on keeping your family happy, healthy, and safe. For exclusive content, as well as show notes, links for everything we discuss on the episode, as well as a free newsletter to help keep you informed, visit mumsthewordpodcast.com. I'm just coming up for me. Do you have anything to say about coffee? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's a good one. Um, it depends on the woman and it depends how well adaptive you are to coffee. For some people, they will have a genetic predisposition to not actually process or metabolize coffee as well as what other people do. So meaning that the half-life of coffee and the way it processes through your liver may be very quick and very effective. And for those people, they can tolerate coffee really easily. For others, that metabolic process is very slow, meaning that the caffeine effects stay in your system for a very long time, which means it can drain your adrenals and it can affect your sleep too. Um, coffee we know is a stimulant it's going to affect your cortisol levels um, and cortisol is produced by our adrenal glands and cortisol is a really bossy hormone that will uh, deplete your system of progesterone which is one of the essential hormones that we need for fertility um, progesterone helps to um, thicken the uterine lining uh, it helps for implantation of the embryo as well so we need really good uh, good levels of progesterone so so anything that's going to stimulate too much cortisol is going to rob your body of progesterone. So have a think about that before you go reaching for your cup of coffee. And I definitely would not advocate for coffee before 10 o'clock in the morning because we know it interferes with your, um, with your adrenal glands at that time. I definitely um, thought you'd have a comment to say about coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so and, I thought it was just an important yeah. one. I'm, I know just with um, – Experts in the past, also more of the Chinese medicine realm, they've also um, advised against coffee in that, um, yeah, I guess healing, ancient healing art as well. So I just thought you'd have something to say. I guess one of the big questions coming up for listeners would be, well, how could they test their ovarian reserve? I mean, if they've been trying and, you know, they're still trying to stay positive and they just, I guess, want to, yeah, see um, a measure or even just test their egg quality, what would you suggest that they do? That is a great question and sometimes this can put women very much at ease as to their situation as well, um, but it can also add a bit of confusion. So take this testing with a bit of a grain of salt and within reproductive medicine, you know, we have this saying that age is the best test, but I really don't like that because I think it really plays into that stigma of that, you know, ticking biological clock. Um, we know that our egg quality certainly is intimately related to you know, our age. However, it doesn't mean that you can't conceive by any stretch of the imagination. So if you do want to test um, and, and get some sort of qualitative, um, I guess, numbers, there's a few different things you can do. So one of them is called an antral follicle count test, which is done via ultrasound. Um, and usually you'll do this at certain times of your cycle. And the ultrasound will give us a good indication as to how many follicles are developing on the ovary, which can be potential eggs. Um, and we can count those and that'll give us a bit of an idea about what the ovarian reserve is like. Um, that test on its own, I, I would certainly just take with a grain of salt. I'd be certainly using a few different other things. Uh, I'd be using a day three follicular stimulating hormone test with an E2 or an estrogen test. You can do this either via saliva or blood or both both as well. Um, so this gives us an indication as to what the hormone levels are like and also how close a woman might be coming into either perimenopause or menopause um, with that declining uh, hormonal levels and also with the declining ovarian reserve as well. So a day three FSH and estrogen or E2 test will give you really good indication as to what's sort of happening on, on that level. Um, and finally, you can also check your blood levels of a hormone called AMH or anti-malarian hormone. 
Um, this one is a relatively new test that that's come up. Um, your AMH hormone is a substance that's produced by the granulosa cells in your ovaries. Um, so the hormone is made by your ovaries and depending on the number of follicles or, or potential eggs that you have left will depend how much hormone it's actually making. So that's a, an easy blood test that you can do um, and you can do it on any day of your cycle as well because it should be fairly constant throughout. Uh, you do need to do this through your gynecologist or your obstetrician though, um, your your normal GP um typically won't refer you for this test. But those are three really easy things that you can do. So your enteral follicle test, which is done via ultrasound, your day three FSH um, and your estrogen or your AMH testing too. Wow, that's great. That's great advice. Um, I guess one of the other things in my experience of of conception was that um, you don't always fit the um, the rule books about when you're actually most fertile because I mean one of my one of my kids was um, conceived on day 10 and the other on day 11 of my cycle so yeah isn't that amazing I think that um you know it's just important to mention that that um you know people might be missing it as well so I guess there's different things they could do be checking on that fertile window um I know that the fertility lens was useful for me as well as checking that basal metabolic temperature and not just only relying on that um the wheat the weed uh, stick test, mm-hmm. the ovulation yeah. test, that was something that helped me, I guess. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's really interesting that you conceived on day 10 and day 11 of your cycle because most women think that uh, your ovulation time is you know, smack bang in the middle of your cycle at about day 14. <laughs> and that's typically not the case because your ovulation window is open for about, you know, typically sort of three to five days, depending on the woman. And your body gives you so many really clear signals as long as you can actually interpret those as to what it's doing and taking your basal body temperature is a great um, thing you can do so basal just meaning body at rest you have to do that with a special thermometer though you can get it from any pharmacy they're about 20 bucks Um, you have to take it every morning at the same time before you get out of bed and it can be a little bit fickle depending on you know if you need to get up to empty your bladder during the night or if you have alcohol the night before those sort of things can interfere with it but it will be consistent over time and when you actually actually ovulate, your temperature will increase between 0.3 to 0.9 of a degree. So sometimes almost a full degree, uh, which is which is a really awesome little sign that you can um, see there. And the reason why that happens is because when progesterone kicks in, when you have that um, estrogen peak that then flicks over to progesterone, progesterone raises your body temperature because part of its role is to, you know, help bake a baby. Incubate. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of the period tracker apps, will tell you that you're ovulating by about day 14. So, you know, you take that with a grain of salt and the um, fertility predictors, so the ovulation test that you use with a urine sample like what you were describing, cannot detect ovulation. They can only detect a hormone surge and they're really fickle and I haven't found them to be consistent. Um, I think one of the best indicators is to really help to un- get to know your body get to know your body and even using your um, your cervical mucus is the best guide as to when you're actually ovulating. So when you get that really, you know, wet egg white type stretchy. Uh, mucus, yeah. Yeah, stretchy, you'll typically have a couple of days of that. It's the last wet day that you have is actually when you'll ovulate. It's not the first, it's the last. So that's why having some sort of charting system for your cycle is so important because you can only know this information retrospectively. Um, So about 95% of women will ovulate within 24 hours of that last wet cervical mucus day. Um, And it's not really often that spoken about, but I mean, when it was taught to me, it just, it made sense. You know, if a sperm's going to swim, it's not going to swim through uh, thick mucus. It's going to swim through the the more clear, like you said, egg yolk, um, not egg yolk, egg white, sorry. That's a clear distinction. Um, (laughs) Sorry. The the egg white um, consistency is just going to be, yeah, better for that swimmer, that lucky swimmer. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And it, it actually acts like a little speed transport highway for the sperm. And then it helps the sperm to then come and chill out and have a little rest um, when it's up in the, the little crypts of the cervix. So once it passes through the cervix, um, it helps to nourish, feed and rejuvenate the sperm before it goes on and to fertilize the egg in the fallopian tube. How cool is that? I was going to say, there you go. Wow, the body is amazing. 
Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. Um, so those are some really good indications that you can use. And the, the cervical mucus and the basal body temperature will change between woman to woman, but it should be consistent for each woman. And if, you've, um, if you're really struggling with figuring out what's happening there, there's lots of resources um, that you know, we can give you that we'll talk a bit about later. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, there's definitely plenty of good places to start there. And I think what you said as well, just get to know your body. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and yeah, it's not necessarily the same as everybody else. I would love you to share an affirmational quote, um, something relating to this that you that you love to share with your clients. Oh, um, okay. That, that's a really good question. Um, one of my favorite uh, quotes, I guess, and I, I cannot remember who I got this from. Um, okay, you can claim I, it. I, it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's definitely it's definitely not a me original. Um, but one of the one of the concepts that I love is that if you're a man and you want to improve your health, marry a good woman. Whereas <laughs> if you're a woman and you want to improve your health, you need to spend time with your girlfriends. And it's because women have a biological imperative to actually spend time with other women. And there's different things that happen when we're stressed out. So men go into that fight or flight state, whereas we're learning now that women, yes, they do fight or flight, but they also do what we call tend and befriend, which means that they need to gather their little tribe together. Um, you'll notice when women are stressed out, they'll fuss over children. They'll, you know, fuss over their partners. That's that tending and befriending. We need to bring, you know, our, our young ones in close. And this includes our girlfriends as well. So talking about things and spending quality time with your girlfriends is important for your health. And especially if you're trying to conceive, because it's so damn stressful for so many women that I think that uh, having that good quality time is um, is really important. No, and I think inherently we are nurturers as well. So, you know, sometimes it's also nice to be on the receiving end if you are in a stressful situation, just to be around um, other women who are there to give at a time when sometimes you've always given them. And women are so terrible at asking for help. Yeah. Um, but as soon as we do, we realize how important that is. Um, so don't be afraid to do that because we all want to take care of each other. So the next question I have for you is what drives you and gets you up to do what you do? Because you do a lot, right? I mean, you're practicing, you're doing another study. Yeah, yep. Um, you know, it's the incredible women that I work with, you know, my patients who are so committed to the health and make such incredible changes. They are so inspiring. Um and you know, helping to to get them pregnant is <laughs> is is pretty awesome. Um Seeing the changes that women make and seeing them actually get in touch with their bodies and understanding that maybe their fertility challenges or their hormonal imbalances or, you know, maybe their really severe period pain, helping them to understand that that's not normal and that they haven't just drawn the short straw and they're not just unlucky and that they don't have to put up and tolerate that is something that I think motivates me the most um, because for such a long time we've been in this realm where women haven't spoken up about any of their things that they've been suffering through. They've just put up with it and they have been told that it's just their circumstances and that they're unlucky as to why they have the symptoms that they do and it couldn't be further from the truth and there's so many things that they can do to fix it as well. Um, so I think that that's one of the biggest things. I think that that's one of the beauties also of, of your podcast is that it's in a really non-confrontational way that people can find access to some of these uh, topics that maybe don't get spoken about. I mean, here we are also talking about cervical mucus on the podcast that's live on <laughs> iTunes around the world. I mean, that's not something that always comes up in conversation with your friend's uh, circle, let alone in a, in a um, uh, medical setting. Um, yeah, so this is probably yeah. a little bit left field, but um, I'd love you to share – how you got the um, nickname, the period whisperer. <laughs> um, I, I seriously, I giggle every time someone says that. Um, I'm still not used to um, that label yet. Um, the period whisperer was given to me by one of my patients. Um, I work with, you know, obviously lots of women who've got all sorts of hormonal issues going on and the type of techniques that I use and the things that, that we do, there's, there's different, um, you know, reflexes that we work on and, and various things that help to stimulate different hormonal pathways. And uh, this one patient in particular came in um, and her appointments seemed to always be scheduled um, when her period was late, which was quite funny. Um, and, you know, there's certain things that we would do that would help to stimulate the period to come on and 
just by the type of work that we do, there's all sorts of different signs and symptoms that the body gives off that shows where you're actually at in your cycle. And they're very, you know, easy to interpret external signs that most women, you know, may not know about. And so it was easy to give that information back to them. So when I'm checking someone, I can say to them, oh, you know, you're ovulating or your period's due or whatever it might be. And so the one patient started calling me the period whisperer. Then my staff started calling me that and it caught on like, well, <laughs> now I can get away from it. Sorry. Um, sorry. I just perpetuated it. It's, um, you know, it like, it, I think it's pretty self-explanatory and I, I'm getting, you know, I, I guess, uh, I kind of like it, I guess on, on some level. Um, the reason it started though, was actually, I had a patient, um, many years ago, uh, her name was Stacy who had the worst case of endometriosis that I'd ever heard or, or read about. Um, she would hemorrhage for 10 days a month. Um, so hemorrhage to the point where she would faint from the pain, she would be hospitalized. Uh, she would, you know, her pain and the suffering that she went through was in, completely indescribable. Um, throughout her sort of period journey, she went through a stage of bleeding every single day for two years. Um, she was put on all sorts of different drug trials. Um, she was told when she was 25 that she'd have to have a full hysterectomy, that that was the only thing that she could do to address, you know, her his, her um, endometriosis. And fortunately, when I saw her in her early 30s, she'd made the decision not to have a hysterectomy because she couldn't make that decision at that time. Um, anyway, through the process of working with her, within three months she had a normal cycle and was the first time that she'd been out of pain in her whole entire life. Um, and that's how, how the nickname sort of came about in, initially and then it sort of perpetuated from there. So, yeah, it's pretty incredible um, totally. that, that women have and also what they put up with. It just blows my mind. So you work with a lot of women, obviously women getting pregnant, and I guess you've got some second-time mums as well. Um, yes. What would you say to someone now who is pregnant for the first time, knowing what you know just with all the work that you've done with women um, in their pregnancy to date, what would you go back and tell um, one of those earlier clients that you had when you were a new chiropractor and um, some information you'd share with them? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I think, and you know, as generic as this might sound is trust the wisdom of your body. It knows exactly what it's doing and there's no amount of intervention that can change that. Um, I, I take my hat off to all these incredible women who, um, you know, birth naturally, um, despite, you know, possible fear mongering from, you know, various practitioners who, you know, go through that initiation into motherhood, um, despite, you know, fear that might be put into them. I think that's incredible. Um, so listening to your body because it's, it's never wrong. Um, and I think that you can't go wrong with that. And also just being okay to say that you need space and you need time and that maybe you're struggling with things and that's absolutely fine. Um, you know, you're all absolutely super women, but we all need help from time to time. And I think that's, it's okay to ask for help. No, I, lo I love that you share the, the well, almost like the women's intuition or the mother's intuition because that's pretty much, I don't know, at least nine out of ten uh, guests share what they would tell their former pregnant self as well. So that's really nice. <laughs> yeah, and I see it every single day. Um, you know, mums uh, or pregnant women might be saying something like, you know, I feel like this is happening. Um, everyone tell is, is telling me I'm crazy, but then, you know, down the track they realise that they were absolutely spot on, that, um, you know, their their intuition, whether it was their fear or a, a fear that was coming up or something that they needed to acknowledge and it was, you know, they're spot on every single time. Yeah. Um, and just being able to allow yourself to tap into that is I think one of the most powerful wisdoms that you have access to. No, I think we almost need to pause on that um, on that sentence as well, just to take the time to really, really uh, honour our wisdom of our bodies. So I would definitely love you to share with the guests some invaluable resources on, I guess, fertility and optimising fertility that they can look further into. I guess more, more um, resources that you advocate, whether they're uh, books or websites or, of course, your podcast as well is definitely um, a go-to resource. But maybe you've got some, you. some that you could um, mention. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, there's a book that's written by Dr. Christian Northrup called Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom. And this is almost like my go-to Bible on all things women, women's health, including pregnancy and birth as well. Um, when I first got this book a few years ago, I literally took it 
everywhere with me. It did not leave my side. Um, and it's so gross and manky now because of <laughs> um, how much I've read it and I've, you know, highlighted and, uh, you know, turned over pages and all sorts of things. Um, but it's written by an incredible uh, gynecologist from the US. Um, she has authored a few different books and has lots of, um, you know, TV specials and things like that as yeah, well. She's but really well known. Yeah. 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 Dr. Christian Northrup, Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom is an incredible incredible place to start. There's another book called Natural Fertility by Francesca Nash um, that I would, you know, encourage all women to read. Um, it definitely helps you to understand um, different types of, uh, you know, symptoms that your body's or signs that your body's giving you, especially when you're trying to conceive, how to optimize your fertility and going into birth and beyond as well. Um, and there's also a book called The Billings Method, uh, which is all about understanding that that cervical mucus and your cervical mucus changes as well and how to use that to optimize your fertility. Um, so most of the natural fertility practices, this is what our work is based on um, in terms of, of the cervical mucus changes and identifying those. It's all from the Billings Method. Um, so I think those three books uh, are incredible and you know, you can certainly um, have a listen to our podcast, which is Wellness Women Radio. We've done all sorts of different um, topics, particularly on um, natural fertility, all sorts of hormonal stuff. So feel free to have a look through the um, filing system that is the, the different episodes and see what, um, I guess, appeals to you. What calls out to you exactly. So, yeah, um, yeah thanks. Thanks for all the wisdom. It's been great having you on. I'd love for you to share um, if there's any other ways that people can get in touch with you and find out more about what you're doing that you want to share. Yeah, definitely. So the easiest um, way to find me, I guess, is thewellnesswomen.com.au um, or you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash thewellnesswomen. Um, you know, we're on Instagram as well, underscore thewellnesswomen. And, you know, you can email me any questions as well. I'm absolutely fine with that. And it's andrea at thewellnesswomen.com.au. Um, so that's probably the easiest resources um, to sort of get in touch with me. Um, and we can go from there. No, I love it when people make their links super easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> totally, totally. Well, it's been awesome having you on and um, I just knew when we connected in person that it would be a great episode and it has been. So thanks for giving back and making the time out of your day to share with the Mums of Word listeners. Oh, Kaz, thanks so much for having me and thank you for what you're doing as well because this is certainly changing the space for women um, and I think that's awesome. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, um, yeah, well, maybe we'll have to get another episode happening at some stage. Yeah, definitely. And uh, guys, stay tuned for um, our episode on Wellness Women Radio when we're interviewing Kaz. We've got to schedule that. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. All in good time. Okay, enjoy the rest of your day. It's been great having you on. Thanks, Kaz. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Mums the Word. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes and join us on our Facebook page to help us share the message to more mums all over the world. We look forward to having you join us again next time here on your trusted source for all mums everywhere, Mums the Word. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter, The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.